Today's episode of the Theater People podcast is brought to you by Heartbeat Opera. To find out if tickets are still available for their radical new 90-minute adaptations of Butterfly and Carmen, go to heartbeatopera.org. Today's episode is also brought to you by Stage Door Manor. For information on their summer theater programs, check them out at stagedoormanor.com. Hey, theater people! We have a surprise guest. Say hello. Hi. Two it's- guesses. <laughs> Two guesses, guys. Hey, it's me. Jillian Pensavalli of the Hamilcast. Hi, girl. Hey. Um, you're also of another podcast. I am, and it's the same one that you are also, also of, of another yep. one. Should we say the name at the same time? One, two, three. <laughs> True, True crime, crime obsessed. obsessed. You love saying it at the same time. <laughs> First, I want to say it has been a dream come true making this podcast. You are you are the funniest. <laughs> you need to stop. I I'm really not that funny. I text you every five minutes saying that you're going to get a book deal out of this podcast because you're a book, so funny. A book for what? An audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> About what? <laughs> well, th- I'm having the best time. I, this is the same. I mean, when I called you and I was like, do you want to, can we, you said yes. I think before I even said, I was like, true crime. And you were like, yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> let's yes. do it. Let's work together. I have wanted to make a true crime podcast literally since I started making podcasts. And I make a bunch. You make <laughs> all the podcasts <laughs> that there are to podcast to podcast um so our first two episodes dropped on this past friday Mm -hmm. and they're amazing tell the people what they are they are the imposter Mm -hmm. and catfish (laughs) (laughs) patrick's having a visceral reaction to the thought of neve shulman Shulman is so hairy you guys you know what i'm talking about (laughs) it's so disgusting to me i can't handle it but um so just to like tell the people how this podcast works, like number one, you don't have to love true crime. You don't have to know what the documentaries are that we're even talking about. If you love theater people and if you love the Hamilcast and you just like the way that Jillian and I are in the world, you're going to love this podcast because we're just like, we love these documentaries and we love to talk about them. Yeah. And, and we're just like, we take you through the documentary and we just like make jokes and also some serious commentary. Yeah, we have fun, but we are very respectful because we're talking about some dead people. Some horrible, horrible things that happen. But you guys, you know what? If we don't laugh, we're going to cry. Right, exactly. So this is kind of where we are. We're going to get through this together. Let's be weirdos together. together. So we want you to we want you to do us a favor and check out the first episode or two or three. Uh, you can find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. You can check out our website at truecrimeobsessed.com. Follow us on Twitter. You all know how much I love the Twitter. It's True Crime Obsess, no ED. Yep. Um, and that's it. That's it. Uh, we are going to be dropping episodes every Tuesday for hashtag True Crime Tuesday. Tuesday. Patrick is doing the hashtag move. You can't see me, guys, because this is a podcast. You know, I do that all the time. I'm yeah. still saying, hey, look at this thing. And I'm like, nope, nope. Just got to <laughs> post the picture of it on Instagram. So check us out. And we love you. We love you. Now to the show. I understand. Praying for a phone call, praying for a way home, asking questions, asking can I get back on that godforsaken plane, and all around me people chat, and people snap like nothing's happened, and I need to hear we're going back before I go insane. Good morning, I'm Captain. Welcome to the Theater People Podcast, I'm your host Patrick Hines. Okay, full disclosure, you guys, I'm obsessed with Come From Away, and I'm equally obsessed with today's guest, Cesar Samayoa, who plays multiple roles in the show, including Kevin, who is one half of a gay couple, and Ali, a Muslim chef. 
both of whom are stranded in Gander, Newfoundland on September 11, 2001, during the true events that make up the plot of Come From Away. Caesar's performances in the show are spellbinding, and I was thrilled to get to ask him all the questions about it. Caesar made his New York City debut in 1998's long-running off-Broadway hit R&J. He made his Broadway debut in 2006 in Hot Feet. He's also been seen on Broadway in The Pee Wee Herman Show and Sister Act before landing his roles in Come From Away. I love this guy. Here's our conversation. Hi, Caesar Samayoa. Hi. How are you? I am awesome. I'm awesome. I'm so happy to meet you. I am so happy to meet you. I, I'm obsessed, you know. <laughs> I'm obsessed with your podcast. That I, is I, crazy. <laughs> I never can imagine that the people who we make the podcast about actually listen to them. That's amazing. <laughs> I feel like you made the podcast for me because I love listening like, to all the stories that are behind uh, theater, especially musical theater. Yeah, me too. Me too. Sometimes I like get totally lost in the conversation, and I'm like, w- w- who are, what are we talking about? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, can we talk about Come From Away? Yes, please. I have to tell you that... It was just like it is the most amazing, like joyful, lovely show that I just like sobbed all the way through. Oh my gosh, I love hearing that so yeah much. Yeah, tell me everything. How did you first hear about it? How did you like audition? What was your process of becoming involved? Well, uh, the first way I heard about it was through my agents. I got um, I got an audition for the show, and it was for the La Jolla production of it. And there was no talk of anything else. It was just developing the show in La Jolla. I got the script and I remember taking the script home and I sat on my couch and I started reading it and I was like, oh my gosh, like, wow. I I didn't know the story. I had no idea how this occurred. And by the end of it, I... It was late, and I called my agent. I said, I have to do this. I don't know how I'm going to you know, get cast in this show, but uh-huh. I have to do this show. From its, you know, the first time I read it, and the show is substantially different now. Is it? Yeah. It, it, um, there have been so many changes, little but very significant changes in each stop, and this is our fifth you know, theater. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then how many auditions did you go through? I went through three months of auditions for the show. Uh, and each step was, you know, after each one, I kind of left the room. I said, please, please let me get this. Please let me get this. Uh, and then I would hear, well, they're going to see people again in about a month. So it was this long waiting game. And at that point, they weren't sure how to divide the people up, how to divide the tracks up. Yeah. Um, you know, we all play multiple tracks yep. in the show. So I, when I first went in, I read for every male role in the show. Did you feel particularly connected to the track that you're in now? Absolutely. I, I think from the from the start, I, I just felt like especially the the Kevin and the Ali characters were were characters that I really connected with. And um and they were the first ones they had me read, which was it's kind of surreal that this mm-hmm. is how it all turned out. But um but yeah, I remember that first audition and uh we come in and we have to sing this music is kind of this kind of Newfoundland uh, rock music. Mm -hmm. It's kind of this Celtic rock music that's really powerful. So music was a big part of this audition. And then Chris Ashley just worked with me on a a good eight, nine sides, different characters, Uh, kept on, you know, he really took his time. It was kind of one of the most respectful audition rooms I've ever been in. Um, 
And then I hear that they're going to see people a month later, and that was a callback. And then a month later, I had another callback, and and then I got cast in the show, and I did kind of cartwheels <laughs> down the street. Can you can we talk a little bit just about what the show is about for people who don't know? I feel like I heard this story for the first time on like This American Life. I think This American Life did a story about this thing that happened on September 11th. Can you just for our audience sort of like fill them in in like the one minute version of like the plot of the show? Yes. Um, well, on 9-11, the airspace was cleared uh, over North America when, you know, no one had any idea what was happening that day. And it so happens that um, 38 planes were grounded in this tiny little island on the northeast tip of Canada. Um, the population of that island doubled in size that day. Uh, so it's about what happened that week after how the whole community opened its doors, basically to strangers and refugees that had nowhere to go uh, the week after 9-11. One of the things that I think is so amazing that you watch unfold during the show is that the people on the plane don't know what's happening. Is that true? Like, it was it, it got to, like, 11 o'clock that night, and they still didn't know what was happening? No, it's all everything that you see in the show. And it's hard for people to remember um, that this is all 100% true. Yeah. I mean, at that point— uh, we don't have the cell phone service that we have these days. Yep. And also, not everyone had cell phones. Yeah. I was still using pay phones at that, <laughs> at that point. Um, so there were... What's crazy that some of the planes that had landed knew what had happened uh, because the pilots uh, had chosen to tell their passengers, and some planes didn't know what had happened. And uh, most of the passengers were on those planes between 12 and 28 hours before they were allowed to get off the plane. Um, So imagine 28 hours and having no idea what had happened that day, or 28 hours and knowing what had happened that Uh day and not being able to call your loved ones. Anyway, this woman, this hot mess behind us kept completely freaking out i don't understand why they can't let us off i mean just to stretch our legs i mean really i need to get some air oh my god i need to get off this plane and my boyfriend kevin we're both named kevin it was cute for a while anyway kevin was not dealing with it well i'm going to kill her excuse me i would like to get off the plane i am claustrophobic excuse me would you like some xanax because you are freaking out, and it is freaking me out, and we are all freaking the fuck out. Open the airplane doors, let a little air in here, because I can... One of the things I wanted to ask about was, like, the putting together of the show. The show, I was saying to my husband... Feel it has a very like Laramie Project feel to me. Mm. How, did you have you seen the Laramie Project? Oh my gosh! Yeah, I just worked with Moises Kaufman, and he what uh, a genius, just a brilliant director. And the Laramie Project was a show that kind of changed my trajectory. Really, theater. So I, I remember seeing it and saying. I have to do this. I have to do this. Yeah, and it's this very cool sort of like documentary style theater where it's like you play multiple characters and you're um, telling multiple stories, but you're sort of rooted in like one or two characters. How was it to like work with your ensemble cast in like putting this show together? What? How was it being directed to like create this show different from other experiences you've had? This was such a collaborative process. Um, and the show is just, it's it's a cast full of principal players. Yeah. And um, everyone's input was respected, and um, it, it was so collaborative that we were able to help each other in different moments. I remember those first couple of days trying to figure out how to stage this. We would take about two days to stage, you know, 10, 15 minutes mm-hmm. of the show. It's that intricate. Yep. Uh, but I love the room, and we've kept on working on it since, till, until we opened on Broadway. 
And every single time it was a collaborative process, everybody's opinion was respected. It was such a cool uh, way to develop a show. I'm, I'm really sad the rehearsal process is over. <laughs> yeah. I'm had to be open on, yeah. uh, on Broadway. I'm so happy about that. But, uh, but the rehearsal process for this was so special. Yeah, and what, uh, did you get to like meet your your like real life counterparts? Yes. Wow. And when? Like when did that happen? This is this is crazy. I I played Kevin um, Kevin J in the show, and we had done the La Jolla production. It was over and done with. We knew we were going to Seattle, and I happened to be back in New York, and I'm I was sitting in a, and I opened my email and I get this email and it says my name is Kevin and I think. You play me in a musical. Oh my god! I just I could like sob. Yeah. That um, oh. and it was late at night. It was around one thirty two in the morning, and I I screamed at that moment. Yeah, and I jump out of bed and I start. It's this huge email, and and Kevin's uh, describing his. Uh, basically his journey uh, in in Gander in Gander Newfoundland where the the story takes place and telling me his story via email um and after that I got in touch with him and uh I got him in touch with the team wow yeah. and I got to meet him uh before anybody else did when we were in Seattle we had dinner before a show and we're sitting across the table from each other, and it's just uh, Kevin and I. And he's telling me all these stories that had happened to him, and he had no idea that the exact stories that he's telling me—I mean, the exact ones—were about to be on stage, the performed on stage, the lines he was saying, the memories he had. Uh, it, his stories is, is one of the you know big plot points yeah. of the show. So it was so cool knowing what was he, what he was about to experience, and he had no idea that that was about to happen. How did they get his story without him give it? Who did he give his story to? Well, his his boyfriend at the time, who's also named Kevin, yeah, we're both named Kevin, and there's two Kevins in the show. Uh, they got most of the story through him. Oh, uh, and. They couldn't get in touch with uh, with Kevin. They had broken up uh, since since that that time in their lives, and and somehow he caught wind of the show, and he's like, I can't believe it. He's like, I'm the biggest musical theater buff, and I had no idea that my story is somehow involved in a musical. And he got himself to Seattle, and we've become really great friends. Since. Wow, I that mean, must be such a trip. It it's a huge trip. It's a huge. Do you guys like hang out? We've totally hung out. He was just here for opening last week. Uh, we had the best time. Got even more stories from uh, from their time in Gander. And you know the cast went to Gander. No, I didn't know that. When but, did you go? My gosh! <clears throat> right before we opened in Toronto, the whole cast uh, went to Gander and performed in the hockey rink that we talk about in the oh show. Oh my god! For an audience of five thousand people, which is basically. Basically everyone, town. <laughs> and we're performing for the people that we're portraying. I'm getting goosebumps. I know, I am too. I am too. It. It's early. It's like it's early. I could cry at any moment. Yes. So just let, let's just let it go. <laughs> we're performing for the people that we're portraying on stage. It, it became a rock concert because all wow. of a sudden you, you'd hear like you know the mayor Claude, who's also in the audience, yes. and the whole audience would go crazy they would just go crazy that is unbelievable one of our first uh kind of chants in the show is i'm an islander mm -hmm. and we started we're like i'm an islander islander 
and then the whole place just jumped up wow. and started screaming because it, you know, it, it was this, such a huge moment of pride for Newfoundland. And 100% of the proceeds for that performance went to charities all around Newfoundland. Um, and it was it was something else. I feel like we needed their okay in order to go forward. Yep. And, and we definitely got it. How much of your connection with the real Kevin do you have you integrated into like your performance it's I mean our this plot line has changed so much since La Jolla uh, because of meeting Kevin really it's really filled out in such a beautiful way in such an honest way portraying uh, this couple Kevin and Kevin uh, in a very realistic and simple way um so I have to say that meeting him and having him reach out to me for that first time changed the trajectory of his story in the show. Unbelievable. How is it to like, how is it to be doing a musical about 9-11? Like, is that a part of like, 9-11 is so personal for people, you know, and I was like, I was here for 9-11. So just like making the decision to go see something about 9-11 yeah. is, is a decision, you know? Absolutely. How is it, how was it to like put that, together as an ensemble was it different was it a more bonding experience like do people have stories from that day that they were sharing of course i think what's so visceral about this piece is that you know those feelings about 9-11 are right there we all hold them you know right there on the surface like right in our hearts um but this show is really about what happened after Mm 9-11 you know it's really about what happened this week after 9-11 when this little community opened their homes and their hearts to the world basically that was stranded at their doorstep now it 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 is because of 9-11 that this story happened so it is mentioned a couple of times in the show um and you know we feel such an importance uh, about telling this story properly so much so that our first invited dress was for the FDNY here first responders in New York City whoa that was the first invited dress and that audience reaction was unbelievable to look out and see men and women in their uniforms with their oh. families watching this show and then at the end of the show jump up to their feet and applaud and and say thank you for for telling this story of how good people are you know we need to be reminded that people did really good things in the midst of this this tragedy yeah so it's uh it's it's a it's an honor to be telling a story like this. Yeah, and it should be clear that, like like what you were saying, the show isn't really about 9-11. No. It's about this town's response to, what was it, 8,000 people just, like, showing up on their doorstep and how – and not to get, like, not to wander too far afield, but, like, you can't not think about how – it would have been different if those planes had landed here in America. You know what I mean? Like, would we have responded the same way that this town did? And it was so, you know, it's so interesting because those people, the people in the town as an audience member feel very foreign because they're so kind yeah. and their their response is so much like, no, we just have to take care of these, like, we just have to take care of these people. I think one of the lines that stands out to a lot of people is like, thank you for shopping at Target. Would you like to come to my house and take a shower? <laughs> 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 and just all of that dialogue comes from real things that really happened. Yes. Uh, I mean, 
everything's 100% true that we portray in the show. But I have to tell you, from being in Gander, the people are like this. <laughs> and what's even more beautiful is is that they say, I don't understand what the big deal is. Right, right, I, right. I have no yeah. idea how making a tray of sandwiches has turned into a musical, but it has. <laughs> and the thing is, you see them not understand why that's why, such a big deal. Why we wouldn't just naturally treat each other this way yeah. and want to help each other this way. And if our show just makes you think about things a little bit differently and say, you know what, I, 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 I would think about helping people, yeah. you know, in a time of need, then we've done our job. But, you know, when I met the community, the people in the community when we were there, I remember after our, um, after our concert, I went to get a coffee at a coffee shop across the street. And the gentleman uh, who was at the counter said, oh, my gosh, you were in the, you were in the come from away. And he calls his wife, who was in, in the bakery in the back making uh, these incredible baked goods. And then he calls his daughters from upstairs, and they're all the, and we're all crying. Oh, my God. We're all crying and hugging each other. <laughs> and he said, I, he's like, we are so proud that you're telling this story to the world. And now, a few words from our sponsors. If you're someone who loves nothing more than a powerful singer belting their hearts out, then you need to check out this new indie opera company, Heartbeat Opera. They're based in New York, and they're known for taking classic operas and presenting them in surprising, intimate productions, where you're up close and personal with the singers and their raw emotions. It's an opera experience unlike anything you've seen before. This month, they're presenting new versions of two classic operas, Butterfly by Puccini and Carmen by Bizet, at the Baruch Performing Arts Center in Manhattan. If you've never considered yourself an opera person before, then I think you're actually going to love this. The operas are stripped down to just 90 minutes, and the productions are dynamic and intense. This is a limited run of just one week, from May 20th through 28th. So be sure to get your tickets to Heartbeat Opera's Butterfly and Carmen while they are still available. Tickets start at just $35, and they're only $15 if you're a student. Go to heartbeatopera.org to learn more and find tickets. That's heartbeatopera.org. Do you wake up humming Hamilton and singing Sondheim? Do you dream of a place where there are Shakespeare flash mobs, Happy Birthday is sung in harmony, and surprise Broadway guests fill your world? At Stage Door Manor, kids from every state and six continents spend their summer totally immersed in the magic of theater. I'm sure almost all of you know that Stage Door Manor is the inspiration for Todd Graff's movie Camp and Mickey Rapkin's book Theater Geek. But did you know that you've seen plenty of their alums on stage, screen, and behind the scenes? Natalie Portman, Mandy Moore, Zach Braff, Robert Downey Jr., Sean Levy, and Janine Tesori all spent their summers in the Catskill Mountains of New York. Stage Door Manor produces an unbelievable 42 full-scale shows in eight on-campus theaters, and there are more than 100 classes at beginning and advanced levels, everything from playwriting to stage combat. If it's theater-related, they do it. Stage Door premieres include original stage versions of Rent, Avenue Q, 
Andrew Lippa's Wild Party, Woman in White, and High School Musical. Stage Door welcomes kids ages 10 to 18, and there are no auditions for admission. They accept all levels of experience and talent and find roles for students in shows where everyone can have his or her moment in the spotlight. Worth Magazine named Stage Door among the top 10 summer programs in the world, and it's been called the Hollywood High of Summer Camps by Playbill. No wonder sessions fill up quickly. Spots are almost gone for the summer, so hurry and go online to stagedoormanor.com for more info. Have they come to see it on Broadway, any of the people from Gander? We have. We, almost everyone has come to see wow. it. And not only that, people from the community who may not be portrayed in the mm-hmm. show. They're, they're people from Newfoundland, I think, every night at our performance. Really? We specifically come to New York to see this. When we were there, they, there were people waving the flags. Is that, is that how they indicate that they're... Yes. Oh, I don't know how this... Uh, the first time it happened was in Washington, D.C., and the lights go out and uh, at the curtain call, and when they come up, all of a sudden there's somebody holding a flag from Gander in the audience, and we all lost it on oh stage. God. It was the first time we saw it. We had seen something like that, and now it's become, I think... You know, a tradition or a thing. Yeah. And if you're if you're coming, and now we're seeing Canadian flags. So if you're coming from Canada, if you're coming from Gander, if you're coming from Newfoundland, people bring uh, their flags and wave them at the curtain call. And I'm, I'm hoping that we start seeing flags from all over the world because yeah. we have characters from everywhere. And wouldn't that be? Amazing! I'm getting goosebumps. I know, again. I know, I know. From it's this. like I keep wanting to ask the same question in a different way, but it's like, wh- how is it? How is it to be doing? So, like the the power of theater is it. It must be amazing to be in a show that really reflects the power of what theater can and should do. Absolutely, you know, to like really be something that is entertaining but healing, telling a true story and like teaching a lesson. Is that? Is, have you experienced that in other productions? I have. I, you know, I, I've experienced it in some other productions, but not to this extent. Yeah. You know, waiting, going out the stage door is a completely different experience with this show. It's really not about, oh, wow, can I get your autograph? Or this was great. Or you're so good in the show. It's it's really about people wanting to communicate with you, their story. Yeah. And just their gratitude for having witnessed such a simple human Story. I mean, th- I think this is how desperate we are to be reminded yes, that yeah. people are good. Uh, yeah, yeah. At their heart, you know, at their deepest, you know, level, at their core, that we we are good and we can be good to each other. So uh, I've never experienced audience interaction like this before. You know, I. I, w- I was talking to some of the people involved in Next to Normal, and we were talking about – they were telling me about their their experience at the stage door and how sometimes they couldn't go because it was just too much because, like, they had just done this, you know, long, tragic show, and then they would go to the stage door and people wanted to share their stories. Do you feel – do you think that it there will come a time where you'll have to put a shell around yourself to sort of pr- – like, to insulate yourself from that? Or or do you – is it m- a more of a joyful interaction that you're that you're having with people? Our interaction. Uh, at the stage door are predominantly very joyful. Mm-hmm. I mean, very joyful. 
of course, we, you know, we're in New York City. We also played Washington, D.C. Yeah. We have met people that, that lost loved ones in these tragedies. Uh, and that's very hard. You know, you do have to protect yourself. But the predominant uh, interaction has been completely joyful and yeah. uh, kind of life-changing, really. The conversations that I've had with people uh, that have told me, I finally have a different story of 9-11 in my head. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's talk about you. (laughs) How did you find your way to New York City? I, um, my gosh, I I went to school. I went to a a conservatory acting program in Ithaca College in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. Uh, I grew up, my family's from New York. I'm a first generation uh, American. My family is originally from Guatemala. Wow. Yeah. Your mom and your dad? My mom and my dad. And, um... You know, we found ourselves in Spanish Harlem. My parents had a botanica on 115 you in Lexington. You grew up here? I grew up right here in New York, the tri-state area. We went from New York City to New Jersey, a suburb in New, a suburb in New Jersey. Whoa. So I've been here my whole entire life. Did you were, did you live in that neighborhood in Washington Heights for a period? When Gosh, when we were tiny, when we were Wow. There. And then yeah. now having a three-year-old, I understand why your parents made the smart decision to move somewhere <laughs> yes. a little bit further away. Well, that was in the 80s, so you could imagine what oh, that neighborhood my. is like. Yeah. But, uh, our botanica is still there. I mean, I, I would finish my school in little, you know, suburban town, New Jersey, and my dad would pick us up and drive us to our botanica on 115 in Lexington. Do, and we does would your family still own it? Uh, no, they had just sold it. Like but how it's just? still there. Not too long ago. And it's it's still there. What? And they sold it to people that had worked uh, with them for years and years and oh, years. Oh, that so is they're, amazing. They kind of like, you know, passed it on to people that have also helped their families because of this store. Wow. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I just went there recently and all my, like, my dad's pictures are up. My mom's pictures are up. It looks exactly the same as I that remember it. That is amazing. It. Yeah. Did you grow up seeing shows in the city? I uh, we didn't start going to shows until I was in about grammar school, and it was all my doing. It wow. was all my doing. <laughs> you know, this was not in in our trajectory, you know, Broadway or anything like that. And uh, this teacher started int- introducing me to, you know, things like chorus in school. And the high school show needed, you know, an extra, a kid extra in the show. And it's like, do you want to do this? And I, I totally... You know, I would jump at the opportunity. Wow. And then I would just start begging my parents, like, please, can we go see a show? Please, please, please. And I remember we went to see Peter Pan. Oh, oh my gosh. With Sandy Duncan. Oh, no my less, God. Flying across the audience. And I saw the gentleman who played Captain Hook. I almost passed out. I didn't know what. I, I just knew that this is what I had to do with my wow. life. Like, I knew it. From that moment on, I, I just knew that this was going to be part of my life. I didn't know I could do it professionally, though. And then I remember I was in college. I went to, I started college for a completely different major. And I went to see Anna DeVere Smith in uh, Twilight, Los Angeles. Where? And, and on Broadway. Wow. And uh, it, that was a life changing experience for me because at that performance, uh, it was a matinee. I went back and got tickets for the evening show. Wow. And, and I decided that I was going to pursue theater. Um, and from that moment on, I've just, I've gone, I've been in it 100%. Amazing. And when did you move to back to the city to like start pursuing your career? Right when, when I graduated college, I moved back into the city and um, I went to this open call for this show called Shakespeare's R&J. Uh-huh. And it was, it's this four uh, person version of, of Romeo and Juliet playing all the characters and 
I got cast in it, and we were this off-off-Broadway show, and it got picked up for an off-Broadway theater at the John Houseman Theater that doesn't wow. even exist anymore. And I played Juliet Benvolio. Oh I my was God. that track. And, um, and we became one of the longest-running Shakespeare's in world history. This little tiny How long did it run? Theater. It's almost two years. Wow. Yeah. And it was... Uh, Imagine doing Romeo and Juliet, all the characters, four people playing all of them, and I got to play the Juliet track, which was, <laughs> I mean, my God. It, it, it was uh, four kind of uh, private school boys that you treat the text as forbidden text. Uh-huh. So when they open it, they just start reading it and becoming these characters. And we're just in, in schoolboy uniforms, and we have one prop for the whole show, this beautiful long red silk was directed by Joe Calarco. Wow. And, and that that's it. That's how we told the story and it was it was quite something. And then okay, so you made your Broadway debut in Officially in the Pee Wee Herman show. Oh, was, really? Yeah, when I was... I knew you did that, but you, you were in something before that. I was in Hot Feet before that. Oh. Uh. And, that, and that was... Uh, I never got to go on. Oh. I was a standby in Hot Feet. I never got to go on. What is Hot Feet? Oh, my gosh. It's the music of Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Which I love. Yeah. I love Earth, Wind, and Fire. And they use the story of the red shoes, and they kind of put the music on top of that. Did it run? It ran. It ran. It went for a good couple of months. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we had an out-of-town tryout in Washington, D.C., and uh, we were at the, I believe it was called the Hilton Theater at that at uh-huh. that point. And um, so we ran for a couple of months, but I never got to go on. I shared a dressing room with the other standby, Adrian Bailey, who be, we became crazy, like incredible friends. Wow. Uh, and uh, and from that from there, I went to the Pee Wee Herman show, and that I did get to go crazy. on. Crazy. Okay, tell me everything about the Pee Wee Herman show. Oh how my did you gosh. get? How did you get that? Well, the, okay, this was when this was in two thousand and ten. Yes, I remember. I remember it happening. I remember Pee Wee Herman in general having like a resurgence. Yes. Yeah. And were you like a Pee Wee Herman fan when you were a kid? I was a Pee Wee Herman fanatic. You were when I was a kid. I fanatic, never understood fanatic, it. Fanatic. Like to me, it just seemed so weird. Uh, it just I loved. It. I don't something about the humor that I totally got. Like, I totally get that Paul Rubens is like a genius. Yes. But it's like a kind of a genius thing that I'm like, I don't really understand. Right. <laughs> you just have to go with it. Yeah, and his yeah. fans, like me, are crazy fans. I mean, they would show up in the theater dressed up as the characters wow. with all their Pee Wee Herman paraphernalia. It was really, it was something else. And it was during the holidays. It was like, we had the like time of our lives. How did you get to, were you like super excited to go in for it? I was so excited. Um, Alex Timbers was directing it and I was part of his theater company, Le Frere Courboursier, right when he, he started off in the city. And um, I had done a show with him called President Harding is a rock star. And uh, I played President Harding in it. So we had developed this incredible friendship from that point, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, years later, you know, both our careers are, are, you know, are doing wonderfully having yeah. worked with each other and I saw that um, that he was directing this show so I called my agent and I was like ah oh, man Pee Wee Herman Alex Timbers are you kidding me like I, I would love to do this wow and then I got cast to cover all the men 
in the Pee Wee Herman show, including Pee Wee Herman. Not, I don't think anyone can. Oh, I was can wondering. Cover like, Pee-wee so he, if he calls out, the show does not happen. No, the show does not happen. <laughs> <laughs> and the first time I went on was for this character called Bear. I was in this big bear costume. <laughs> so me and the gentleman who, who played it got to you know be on Broadway in these huge bear costumes. But it was a blast. My God, he would the, the lights would go up on him in the audience. I'd never heard an audience reaction like that. Good morning, boys and girls. Good morning, Pee-wee. Welcome to my show, Maestro. Well, good morning. How do you do? I mean, what theater was it? Crazy. It was at the Sondheim. Oh, my. Yeah. That's a great theater. Yeah. What? How was it to like get to meet him for the first? Is he what is he like? He's first of all, he's the complete opposite of his character. Is he really yes, just normal? Very, just normal, very uh, quiet and respectful, and um, just a lovely, lovely man. So when you see him as Pee Wee Herman, <laughs> like who is this guy? Plus, like he looks just like Pee Wee Herman from twenty five years ago. Like yes. you, when he's in his costume, he looks like he hasn't aged a day. Yeah. One of my favorite, but the coolest things about about being the standby for all the guys there was was that I knew the whole show backwards and forwards, and he would always run the entire show before going on at night. Pee Wee Herman did. Pee Wee Herman did. He would run the entire show in his dressing room, and as he was getting his makeup on, he asked me, "He's like, listen, I run the show every night. Do you want to run it with me?" So I would run while he was getting his his makeup on with his makeup artist. I would run the entire show with Paul Rubin. Oh my every god! Night, learning from him, learning about his thoughts on comedy, his thoughts on uh, create the creative process. We became really good friends, and it was something that I did every single day and twice a day on matinee and evenings. <laughs> I would run the show with Paul Rubens. I would run the Pee Wee Herman show with him in his dressing room. Wow. All right, so you guys are ramping up for awards season. Yes. Are you excited? Oh my gosh. You're so what a what an incredible season for Broadway. I mean I was saying to somebody yesterday, like this is the first year that I can think of that more shows will be not nominated than yeah. nominated because there was something like twelve new musicals this year. Yes. Can you imagine twelve new musicals? Twelve new musicals and many of them are in, like it's so incredible yeah. that you're just like, who who is gonna be picked just for the nomination? How do, how do, how is this even I can't this must be unprecedented. I cannot even imagine how that's all going to shake out. I mean, the the creativity, and they're all so different. Yeah, the creativity on Broadway this season is unbelievable. Yeah, so yeah. it's an it's an exciting award season, and I mean these. Companies and cast, we, we couldn't be more supportive of each other. It's really That's exciting amazing. to go see other shows and other people's works. Right across from us, we have Natasha Pierre. We have uh, Dear Evan Hansen, yeah. which I was just listening to on yeah. the way here. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, these are incredible scores, incredible stories, the artistry on stage. It's really, you know, we're all in really good company Yeah, this it's a great season. time for Broadway. Well, you're amazing. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much. I love talking to you. Likewise, likewise. Hopefully we'll do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, bye. Bye. One, two. One, two, three, four. Welcome to the friends who have come from away. Welcome to the locals who have always said they'd stay. If you're coming from Toledo or you're coming from Taipei. Because we come from everywhere. We, we all come from away. Welcome to the rock. Theater People is a product of Theater Podcast Productions and is produced by Mike Jensen and me, Patrick Hines. To check out all of the podcasts we make, including our newest podcast, True Crime Obsession, check out our website, theaterpodcastproductions.com. Special thanks to our Patreon associate producers, Robbie Roselle, Ty Williams, and Cynthia Wallach. Thanks also to Steve Tipton, Eric Emsch, Keith Allen Herzog, Ellen Marsh, and the staff at Oswald's. 
We'll be back next week with Tony winner and Broadway royalty Betty Buckley. Until then, tell your friends about us. Let's get the theater community talking. Come from away.